Hello and welcome back to Painting the Padres. It's been a while, but Logan and I are back talking about our favorite team, the Brown and Gold, with opening day just around the corner. Thought we would get you caught up on all of our thoughts about the Padres offseason and what we're thinking about the coming season, 2023. It is no doubt, Johnny, the most anticipated season in Padres history. And it is so good to be back and, and recording again because baseball hype is here. It was crazy with the WBC. That was incredible. Obviously, we have an episode previewing that. But, you know, now that we're finally here to opening day, wow, this is going to be some really, really exciting stuff in San Diego. And, I mean, not to say it's World Series or bust, but there is that expectation. And a lot of people think the same thing. We are going to be the World Series champions. But obviously, you got to play 162 and then see what happens once you get into the playoffs at that point. Anything can happen, as we saw last year. So just really, really looking forward to it and seeing what this Padre team can do on the field. Absolutely. Yeah, it is weird to have expectations. And we've had expectations, you know, like internally. Like 2019, it was like, oh, we got Manny. We got Tatis. We got Paddock. Like, oh, we might make some noise. But nobody else thought that. You know, everyone else was like, what the heck are you doing signing Manny Machado? But to have real national expectations, that's, and not just as like a, you know, kind of dark horse, but to be really a favorite is super, super unprecedented. Um, and we felt this earlier, if there's any Aztecs fans out there being ranked, what, 19th in the preseason AP poll, that was pretty unprecedented and it's turned out fine for them so far. So hopefully we get some of that luck for the brown and gold. Yeah, exactly. Luck is definitely something that you need, especially come postseason time. And yeah, like you mentioned with the Aztecs, you saw you're seeing it right now um, with them. Um, but it also takes an identity as a team. And I think a lot of times when you look back to those teams the Padres had that you were talking about in the 2019-2020, there was really ebbs and flows with the identity. And you know, you can blame Hosmer, you can do all that stuff, but the reality is it's top to bottom, and it, and it started with management. And now that we have Bob Melvin, second-year manager of the San Diego Padres, mm-hmm. you can see there's a consistent wave, and even when this team struggles, and there's they're going to, they're going to have a five-game skid here or two weeks where they drop 75% of those games, that's not really going to affect them, and they're going to bounce back and win 75% of their games the next month. So, mm-hmm. you know, we just have to realize that this team is in good hands. And the reality is from all the way at the top at ownership with Seidler down to the guys who did aren't going to make the opening day roster, but will get called up in June. Like there is a culture that is being created here in San Diego. And you see this with all the consistent teams. Yeah. And I mean, there's no easier way to see that than just with the extensions. I mean, it started with. I mean, it really started with locking Manny up the first time, but the Tatis extension, the Machado extension, Darvish, Musgrove, um, and then signing Xander, that's five star caliber players right there that are all San Diego Padres for the foreseeable future. That's not, that's not you know, the, the uh, Manuel Margot, Hunter Renfro, Franchi Cordero, Carlos Asuaje Padres of 2017 that we're going to be the core for. Um that's that's legit. No, it really is. And the cool thing, too, is you mentioned all the stars, but there's going to be a lot of guys who contribute to this team that are 
not going to start more than, you know, maybe 25, 30 games this year. There would be everyday starters for those teams back in the day. And that's another exciting aspect of it, too, where you have legit major league players that aren't going to play a lot for us. The depth that we have accumulated and quality depth, not just a bunch of, you know, borderline guys. We have guys. You look at guys who have done it before, and we'll talk more about them with the Rootnet Odors and David Dahls. Like, these guys have been legit major leaguers. And with Dahl, he was an all-star not that long ago. So there's guys that are going to fill in the gaps when we need it to. And I believe we have the ability to step up even when these superstars go down with injuries because the reality is the odds are that one of them at least will at some point this year end up on the aisle. We're going to start with Tatis on the suspension list. You just never know. But we have enough star power to pick that up plus the depth to really make sure that it doesn't affect us that much. And the first guy that comes to mind is actually from last year. I'm thinking Jose Azokar. When Grisham struggled, um, it's huge to be able to have a guy that you can plug in in center field and give him starts down the stretch, and he stepped up big time. Oh, he really, really did. And it doesn't mean that they're going to have the breakout year of the century, but all they need to do is have a month, you know, even a couple weeks where they just play really, really well, fill in some holes, and we saw it like you said with Azokar. He had that walk-off hit last year, so you can argue he gave us one of our wins, which were very needed Going into the postseason, you know, we were a couple wins from not making the postseason. So it's really, really cool to see those type of guys step up. And as much as it's fun to root for the superstars, it's going to be fun to root for those guys as well. Absolutely. Especially now that they're, you know, they actually have a chance of succeeding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, you mentioned Dahl and Odor. It looks like those are going to be the only two uh, on the hitting side on the position player side non-roster invitees that will make the team um how are we feeling about those guys you know you got to feel good about doll he's changed his swing a lot and like i said he's been an all-star 2019 he was an all-star for the rockies granted it was one half of a season and after that it's pretty much been downhill but he's been in the swinging lab he's figured some stuff out And he showed up in spring. He had an extremely hot start, kind of cooled off, but then bounced back fairly quickly, which is good to see. So he earned it. And especially with that need in right field for the first 20 or so games of the season, he's probably going to be getting the, I would say, fair share of those games. And then you got a good lefty bat on the bench, good outfield depth. And if he doesn't work out, it's okay. But for now, he earned it. And then with Odor, middle of spring training signing out of kind of nowhere, the real reason I think we signed him was because we saw that, oh, half of our infield is playing the WVC. Next thing you know, he's raking. Johnny saw it in person. I'm sure he can tell you more about that, too. He deserves to be on this roster. Absolutely. And I got to be honest, when we signed him, I thought there was no chance he was making the team. No chance. It was exactly like what you said. We just need somebody to play because Xander, Kim, Manny, all in the WBC. So, yeah, when he started actually hitting, I was like, okay, you know, maybe we got something here. Um, And then I went to spring training in person, um, and I saw the game uh, last Saturday where we played the Rangers, and Jacob deGrom was on the mound, and Odor was in the starting lineup. First inning, turned around 99, line drive to center field for a base hit. Second at-bat. Smashed one on a line of the first baseman, got out, but, you know, two super hard hit balls, line drives off basically the best pitcher on the planet. 
and then facing a reliever, he got another line drive base hit. So, you know, it's not always going to be like that. But the fact that he's hitting the ball hard, the fact that he's taken his walks, um, he's walked, I think, six or seven times this spring. Um, and he's a guy with a career, like, 6% walk rate. So, um, sub-300 OBP guy. So, if he can walk, and if he can put some good swings on balls, hit some line drives, I, I'm i very happy with that off the bench. Yeah, you have to be. And he's going to be the main backup infielder type because we're not going to probably carry another infielder on the bench. Now, with the DH, you can see Matt Carpenter projected to start their opening day so we'll see how that you know actually ends up going but you can see a lot of versatility with him being able to bounce to first and then Cronenworth can kind of play anywhere off of that but yeah it's good to see Odor have that that you know little spring training resurgence and you know we'll take anything positive out of him quite honestly given the timing of the signing I also like that he's a very different hitter than anyone else on the team very different profile and usually you wouldn't really like his profile. You know, you don't like those sub 300 OBP guys that never get on base. Um, that was basically what our whole team was made of in 2017, those Renfro, Margot guys. Um, but now that you have the Sotos, the Mannies, Tatis, Bogarts, all those guys will have OBPs well over 350. Um, it's kind of nice to sprinkle that in with a guy who's just going to swing out of his shoes. It keeps the pitcher on their toes. They can't just like you know nibble all the time. They're gonna have to attack, and I think Odor is gonna gonna make the most of that. Another guy that you were mentioning earlier uh, was sticking with the position players here on the bench is Jose Azokar. And originally, and quite honestly, I don't think he would be on this opening day roster had Adam Engel not gone down with a hamstring injury at the end of spring training. Given that we did give Engel the major league contract. But I think at the end of the day, sometimes things work out how they're supposed to. Not saying that Angle should be hurt, and I'm not wishing for injuries. But in terms of Jose Zocar, he deserved to make this team over Angle, no doubt. And it really would have been the fact that Angle had the guaranteed contract. So I'm glad Zocar made the team. I know he's a fan favorite in San Diego. Really, really good under-the-radar minor league free agent signing way back in the day. We didn't develop him, which is pretty incredible given the impact that he's now having with the the team that we have so uh, good to see that and the other kind of main thing on the bench we obviously have Nelson Cruz but the catching position it's going to be Luis Campusano and Austin Nola Nola we know got hit in the face I mean a week and a half ago and then left a game not too long ago either because he got a foul tip off his hand we do have official word that he is starting on opening day if you were to tell that's at any Padre fan the second they saw him get hit in the face. Like I said, literally a week and a half ago, um, where he had a, has a slight fracture in his nose, um, and that he'd be starting on opening day, that's pretty incredible. But I'm overall happy with the catching duo and what I've seen out of spring. Me too. I mean, Capusano, three home runs in the spring. He's looked solid um, defensively as well. You know he has the arm. Um, the framing is definitely there. Blocking is fine. Um I think the <clears throat> I think the pitcher pitch calm is going to be huge for him, taking a little bit of the burden off of him for pitch calling. Um, it will be interesting to see who uses that on the Padres staff and if Campy is paired up with them more often. I don't know. I know Musgrove was open to working with him last season. We saw them work together a couple times in September, so we'll see if that continues. But yeah, I'm not. I'm not too uh, 
I'm fine with our catching situation. I know a lot of people were were pounding the table for a catching upgrade this offseason, but I'm not I'm not too dissatisfied. Yeah, and I think the cool thing to see with Campy here that I've noticed in spring is yes, he, he looks like he's playing well. And we know that he's a talented baseball player. That's not ever been the issue. He definitely seems more comfortable to me. And when I'm watching him behind the plate framing, attempting to, you know, kind of maneuver through a game. And again, like you were mentioning, it's not just him by himself, but he just looks more comfortable. He doesn't look, I don't want to say he ever looked lazy, but he, he didn't, he doesn't look like he's out of it. He looks really engaged um, which is good to see. And I know a lot of people have harped on him. And I've always been a campy supporter. I've never wanted us to trade him. I really believe that this guy has the potential to be one of the top 10 offensive catchers in baseball. Now, you know, defensively, we'll see what happens. But if he can really figure it out and, and swing the bat like he did in spring with the power that he has, if he can get 15, 20 home runs a year from the catcher position, I will never complain about Campusano. Me either. Definitely agree on that. Unfortunately, we do have some um, bad news, breaking news. Matt Williams, Padres third base coach, uh, learned earlier this morning that he has colon cancer um, per Dennis Lynn, and he will have surgery this Friday. So obviously wishing all the best to him. Uh, we had noticed actually in spring training that Mike Schilt was manning third base um, as a third base coach. So Seems he's been a little bit out of action for a while, but definitely some terrible news there. And uh, wishing Matt Williams all the best and a full recovery. Yeah, cancer sucks. That's uh, not good to hear at all. So, All right, let's get to um, one of the more burning questions this offseason. Um, <clears throat> I know Bob Melvin has been asked many times, how he is going to structure his lineup because obviously this lineup um, pretty unparalleled in terms of Padres history, I think, uh, or any lineup Bob Melvin has ever filled out before. So let's get your take on it, Logan. How would you line up this this squad? Well, are you going to let me do it with Fernando or without him? I'll let you put Fernando in there because that's, that's that's the cool. real test. Yeah. Let's go. Well, there probably won't be too many adjustments uh, when he's not in the lineup for me. And um, But when he is, I personally like Fernando at the top of the lineup. We saw it in spring training. Once he got through that 0 for 12 or 0 for 16 skid, whatever it was, he was on fire. And the chaos that he can create, the pressure he can put on a pitcher, I think is much has much more value than having him batting fourth than a situation where Xander Bogarts would probably be probably be leading off. So for me, I'm going to lead off Fernando. That puts a lot of pressure on the pitcher to now worry about him and then face the 2023 NL MVP. Yeah, I'm predicting that right now. Juan Soto is going to win MVP. He's going to be batting second. So when you have those two batting one, two, that's elite. Um, obviously, I think Manny's got to go three. I don't really think there's a debate there. And that's the next spot. It's pretty obvious, too, at that point. If you don't have him batting leadoff, you got to put Xander Bogarts at number four. And I think that would be good for him. He's going to be able to rack up a lot of RBIs. He's a doubles hitter, um, which would be ideal to put at two if we're doing you know stereotypical lineup construction. But obviously, Soto's not going to be anywhere else but two. So Xander being at four to bring those guys in, and you got to pitch to Manny because you don't want to pitch to Xander, I think that does a lot for the lineup. 
Uh, number five for me, it's got to be the MVP of spring training for the Padres, Jake Cronenworth. I mean, holy cow, kind of under the radar spring cha- training, Johnny. Cronenworth was raking, so he's got to go five. I think at six is where you put your DH. Carpenter and Nelson Cruz, most likely platooning throughout the year. Opening day, though, I'm um, probably going to be Carp, but that obviously is not the situation we're talking about. But yeah, it's mostly going to be Carpenter batting six for me, and then Cruz sprinkled in there as well. Uh, number seven, ah, that one's tough for me. I think you got to go back and forth between uh, Hassan Kim and Trent Grisham, just depending on what DH you have that day. So if it's Carpenter, you probably don't want to go three lefties in a row, so I go Hassan Kim, and then vice versa. If it's Cruz, I might bump Grisham in front of Kim, having Kim batting eighth. And then rounding out my lineup, I do have Austin Nola at the nine spot, um, or Campusano, obviously, depending on who's playing that day. Now, just for the opening day, the only change I would make is probably bumping Bogarts to leadoff, moving everybody else up a spot, and then inserting David Dahl at that nine hole. I think that is very fair. I do know, however, that you used to be a proponent of the Tatis cleanup bandwagon. So would you like to explain why you changed your mind? Yeah, I was. And I go back and forth with line of construction a lot. And part of me thinks it's an overrated uh, discussion. Um, not that it's not important, but it just there's too much. Especially with what we have, these top four guys. The reality is you could probably bat any of them in any order besides putting Manny at leadoff, and you'd be fine. But the reason, I, and I kind of mentioned it earlier, I really think with the new rules and the pressure now that's on pitchers, especially early on, there's going to be more pressure on pitchers. There's a lot more to think about now, right? So if you can have Tatis on first base after a walk, now you've got to pitch to Soto, Manny, Bogarts, and Jake. That's the next four guys you got to face. And you have to worry about Tatis. You're either going to walk Soto you're going to give him something to hit because you're thinking about Tatis. You're going to miss your spot. Or you're so worried about Soto, Manny, and, and the rest of the crew that you forget about Fernando, and the next thing you know, he's at second base. I think mm-hmm. that provides a lot of value. Given the new game, and I think we saw it in spring training, I genuinely think that stolen bases are going to be a huge factor this year, and I think that's the best way to take advantage of that. Um, I know you've mentioned to me before off pod that you were thinking maybe Tatis at four, but what were you? are you kind of thinking the same thing or – are you wanting him at the leadoff spot when he comes back? No, I've I'm I've been firmly in the Tatis leadoff camp, and I will give okay. you two other reasons that you haven't mentioned for that. Number one is simply comfort. Tatis led off um, for most of the time that he was an elite hitter um, in 2020, 2021, and nobody else really has. I mean, Soto led off in the WBC a couple times. Bogarts does not really have experience leading off. Manny obviously doesn't. So I think it's nice to just put guys in situations they're familiar with. And the second thing is that I think Xander Bogarts is a really solid four hitter because I think he's the most situational hitter we have on the team. Maybe Cronenworth is up there as well. But if you watch video on Bogarts from his Red Sox days, there's nobody better at just poking a ball through the right side, um, you know, floating one to the outfield when it needs to be done. He's a very professional hitter, and I really like that in the four hole once you got the first three guys on base. You know, that's a phenomenal, phenomenal point. Yeah, I just think there's so many reasons you put Tatis at that top spot because I think the reality is 
when you look at just the pure athleticism, there may not be anyone more athletic in the league. So getting the most athletic hitter on the team up as much as possible can only benefit us. So unless, you know, he just really hits a struggle bus when he first comes back and it's a big strikeout struggle bus too where he's striking out like 40% of the time, I think that it makes the most sense. And yeah, the points you made were phenomenal. I think that's a really good point about Xander too. So that'll be fun. But yeah, I think Soto and Manny batting in that 2-3 spot, I don't think that changes all year. No, me either. I think really the only argument, the only big argument for Tatis at four is, you know, you don't want him hitting so many solo home runs. You want him to hit his home runs with guys on base. But, I mean, Xander's no slouch either. He's going to hit you 20, 25 homers too. Um, And also, the bottom of our lineup is going to get on base at a decent clip anyway. You know Grisham's going to take his walks. Nola's going to take his walks. I don't think there's going to be too many times outside of, you know, leading off the game, that Tatis comes up with the bases empty. Yeah, I completely agree. And if his solo home runs are coming on leadoff home runs to start the game, we'll take that all day. So, Oh, yeah, uh, big time. So that, Johnny, is our first half of the roster. What about that second half? What about the arms? What are we looking at rotation-wise and bullpen-wise coming opening day? What does that look like? Well, the rotation certainly does not look like uh, what we thought it was going to uh, in probably the middle of the offseason. But it's okay. Um, It's not as bad as it could be either because nobody is out for the season or out for, you know, really more than one start. So you're going to have Blake Snell pitching on opening day. Awesome. Um, Love what he did in the second half last year. And he's talked a lot about, you know, preparing himself to start the season strong this year. So hopefully he can do that. And then instead of having Musgrove and Darvish up there at the top of the rotation with him, you're going to go Nick Martinez, Michael Waka, Seth Lugo, and then Ryan Weathers pitching the fifth game and then Darvish filling in in the sixth game. So we're going to have a six-man rotation. Um, Darvish has been bumped to the back because uh, he pitched in the WBC, so he didn't get as many innings. Just his arm isn't quite built up yet. But it's okay. We're playing the Rockies first anyway. We don't need him. (laughs) <laughs> um, so he, he goes to number six and then after one more turn through the rotation, Musgrove slides in, in Weathers spot, I believe. And then at that point we'll probably send Weathers down. Um, and Musgrove, of course, just returning from that broken toe he suffered early in spring training. Um, and then at that point, you know, two weeks into the season, it's basically what we thought it's going to be Musgrove, Darvish, Snell, and then some combination of Waka, Martinez, and Lugo rounding out that six-man rotation. Of course, that could change. You know, injury is, is of course, um, a big thing. Melvin could decide that he doesn't actually want to go with the six-man rotation. Um, Lugo or Martinez could struggle in the rotation and get bumped to the bullpen. Any number of things can happen. But the big thing is that nobody's, nobody's out for the season yet. You know, nobody big. And uh, that rotation full of guys that performed well in the last couple of years is intact. Yeah, it very much is. And like you said, it is nice that we're playing the Rockies because it feels like a team that as long as we out hit them and we know they suck at hitting on the road. Um, and I don't think that's going to change just because Chris Bryant's back. 
I think this is lines up well for us. And Martinez, you kind of mentioned it. Holy cow. He pitched well in spring training. Uh, strikeout numbers were way up, which is good to see. So yeah, not too much there. I think another interesting aspect to the rotation as injuries, you know, happen throughout the year and, you know, fingers crossed that everyone can stay healthy, but you know, who's going to be those next couple guys that fill in. And I think a big surprise to people, and I think there's reasoning behind it that I'm sure you can get into Johnny is that it was Ryan Weathers over Jay groom for that five spot. Yeah. And that is definitely um, an interesting choice, especially if you go look at the cactus league spring training numbers, groom allowed what, like two runs all spring training at an ERA and the ones um, and Weathers was not as pretty, but if you're digging deeper, you see that Weathers had a very nice strikeout to walk profile. He struck out, I think, 24 guys in 17 innings or something like that. Uh, he was up towards the top of the strikeout leaderboards, um, and he wasn't walking too many guys either. Whereas Groom, he didn't allow very many hits, and he didn't allow many home runs, but he was walking guys. His control wasn't great. Probably a guy that they feel can get really locked in after a few more starts in AAA. Um, whereas Weathers, you know, they probably felt was the victim of a little bad luck, a little bad defense. You know, spring training defense is not all it's cracked up to be. Um, and, of course, the uh, official scores are not, you know, not the greatest in terms of determining what's an error and what's a hit. So, yeah, the big thing to notice is that, A, spring training areas don't matter. B, you're looking a little bit more at strikeouts and walks. And C, the Padres have a lot more data than we do. Um, spring training box scores are notoriously lacking in terms of actual uh, important data. So I trust that decision. I think Weathers looked fine this spring. He's got the new delivery, um, probably giving him a little more confidence than he had last year. So, I mean, and we really, we only need them for like one or two starts at the beginning of the year. So it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, exactly. It was really good and nice to see Weathers pitch, you know, on TV a couple of times, because like you were mentioning, the statistics made back Groom. And I don't think Groom looked bad. I just think he nibbled sometimes. But that was a big difference is Weathers was attacking guys. And yeah, he got bit by the long ball a couple of times, but sometimes that just happens in Arizona. There's like, no air density whatsoever out there, so the ball travels. And, yeah, when you're attacking, and this goes for any level of baseball, when you throw strikes, you're just giving your team a chance. And and you're walking, guys. You're taking the bat and out of the hitter's hands and allowing them a free base, and then you allow an accidental home run. Well, I think the Padres saw that and saying, hey, if Weathers is allowing solo shots because he's attacking, we'll take that all day over Groom, who might be allowing three-run bombs after he just walked two guys. So yep. that is that is definitely something that probably weighed into their decision as well. Um, but like yeah. you said, Weathers, Weathers looking, looked really good. And I think pe some people were thinking, okay, Weathers probably might make the team out of relief. You know, we've seen some injuries. We've seen some guys go down. Adrian Morajone, who was a borderline starter, but if not, he was obviously going to be locked in that bullpen. Jose Castillo, another lefty, who I think a lot of people thought had a good chance to make the team. Drew Pomerantz, we didn't know of his status. Um, good thing on those two, by the way, Castillo and Pomerantz, they've been throwing pens, so they shouldn't be too, too far out. And then the big name, Robert Suarez, he goes down with some arm stiffness, joint inflammation issue. Um, 
which opened up another spot in the bullpen. So given that we know Groom didn't make the bullpen as a long reliever, we know Weathers is in the rotation and all those guys are down. What is our bullpen going to be like? Yeah, it's definitely not going to be what we projected at the beginning. Um, But at the same time, it's still going to be really good. So let's go through it. We got a hater at the back, still closing it out. Um, Feel great with him, obviously, with how he finished the year into the postseason last year. Setting him up, not Suarez at the beginning, at least, uh, will probably be Luis Garcia. And then you've got a mishmash of middle guys like Tim Hill, who had a good spring, um, Stephen Wilson, Nabil Krizmat. So yeah, that's five. And then the six-man rotation, so you get seven bullpen spots. And the last two are definitely not names that you were thinking of. The first one, I don't know, you might have, but Brent Honeywell, we signed to a split deal. He has been a starter for his whole career, but his last two, three appearances in spring training were all one or two innings at the end of games. So he's clearly being prepped for a bullpen roll. Um, and he has not been sent down to AAA, so he will be making the bullpen. And the last guy, um, way more out of uh, left field, is Domingo Tapia, who pitched for, I believe, the A's last year. And he really, really showed out well in spring training. He's a guy, you know, like you say, of a lot of relievers. He's got great stuff, but didn't really have the command. He's got a blazing fastball, and he really pitched well in spring training, was throwing strikes, uh, was striking guys out, wasn't walking too many guys. Um, I thought he looked really impressive when I saw him in person. I think I saw him three times in the four games that I saw, at least two. And, uh, yeah, he looked really good. So it's one of those guys where, you know, if he's if he can figure it out a little bit, he'll be a useful bullpen piece. But if he can really figure it out, he can be like a setup guy. Like he's really, really got good stuff. Oh, completely. He is filthy. And we'll see that assuming he makes this team because he's got upper 90s fastball with a wipeout, wipeout slider. And like you said, I mean, there is potential in this arm to be a setup guy. Like he is on the level of Luis Garcia at times when he throws strikes. That's the big if. And if he does that, huge addition. Now I will say this. Um, at the time that we are recording this, Bob Melvin's going through his press conference, and he did say that they still have one more roster decision to make. He, too, mentioned the Brett Honeywell that, yeah, he's on the team. So I'm not saying that that is the Tapia position. It could be Odor. It could be Dahl. It could be even a Zokar. I don't know if they're considering anyone else. Um, maybe the Taylor Colley. I'd be surprised. But um, And it also could just be a 40-man roster issue that they don't want to talk about yet. But... Yeah, I think it makes the most sense to put Tapia at that last spot, and he could be a really fun under-the-radar guy throughout the season if he finds that strike zone. And it feels like, Johnny, that there's always some reliever on a playoff team that came out of nowhere. And we have actually been very good. Um, one of our few strengths in the in the lean Padres years of the 2010s was finding relievers from the scrap heap um, Brad Hand was really the first big example. And then Kirby Yates, who we really turned into a star uh, in 2019. So I feel, you know, decently good. Oh, Chris Matt, of course, the last uh, couple of years. 
So I, I feel pretty good about our chances at uh, developing Tapia or anybody else. So, yeah, you mentioned that Tapia might not. Who else? What are the other options? Because I thought everyone else had pretty much been sent down by now. Yeah, off the top of my head, everyone else has. So I'm not exactly sure what other options there are over Tapia at this point. So it feels like it's him because I know Angel Felipe, he's down. Obviously, Michelle Baez and Kerr were sent down earlier as well. Unless there's some other non Are we trading for Emmanuel Classe? <laughs> yeah, there you go. That would be nice. Um, that would be the Indians thing to do, right? Show signs of going forward and then trade your all-star closer. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I believe Pedro Avila has been sent down. We know Re- uh, Reese Kinnair has, so there kind of takes out the starting batch of guys who had decent springs. So yeah, I really... Don't see who else it could be. And that's why I mentioned it could just be a 40-man clerical issue that they're trying to figure out right now. Because if you look at the 40-man um, of guys who are on that, that could potentially make the team that haven't already been sent down, that's nobody. You know, maybe, so, they're, maybe they're thinking about carrying uh, three catchers, you know. I've been hearing Ethan Solace might make the team as a 16-year-old. <laughs> I mean, quite honestly, he might be better than Campy. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. Um, and some would have a good segue into some of the surprises that, of spring training. Um, and maybe surprises is the wrong word, but some of the things that stood out were the prospect play that the Padres had. And it was mainly two hitters. It was Ethan Salas, um, who only got one AB. And then, of course, shortstop prospect Jackson Merrill. Um, let's quickly start with Merrill, and then we'll get into Salas. Merrill started off red hot and he kind of cooled off, but he didn't go ice cold. He continued to find ways to get hits, make impact, impact plays at shortstop, which to me proves that he's a shortstop. And I don't know, man, the bat to ball skills were elite. You know, he didn't go yard, but he was facing major league pitchers. And like, like I said, the bat to ball skills were, were there. He's, he's a major league ready bat to ball skills guy. We just need him to develop in size a little bit more and get more experience. But he looks not too far off from being ready. Yeah, I mean, spring training always brings out the uh, the old head, you know, scout in me that says like, man, that guy just looks hitterish. You know, that, that guy just <laughs> looks locked in. And Merrill totally has that look, especially, you know, it really stands out when you're watching those, you know, second week spring training games in the eighth inning where nobody has a name on the back of their jersey. And, like, you know, everybody's up there. And yeah, you know, they're kind of like a, you know, like I can see it a little bit. And then Merrill steps up and he's like, ooh, yeah, that guy looks like a real hitter. And then he, you know, pokes one through the left side for a base hit. Um, yeah, we didn't see much power out of Merrill this spring, but the approach was definitely there. The confidence was definitely there, which you love to see. The defense was there. Um, so, yeah, I think he's poised for a big year, starting the year at double A. Um, or sorry, no, excuse me, starting the year at high A, like Elsinore, I would not be surprised if he moves up to double A within, you know, a couple months. Uh, I would not even be surprised if he cracks the triple A roster by September for a late season call up there. Um, so yeah, expecting big things out of Merrill for sure. Yeah. And I was just honestly quite surprised with the defense because they'd always said that he might profile more as a second baseman. Um, and I've seen not just my personal opinion. I've seen this across prospect writers all around the board that say, no, he's a shortstop now. And you yeah. see that when he plays. 
Um, and you were talking about it. He carries himself like a pro. He seems to have a great personality too. Um, just seems a lot to like, and you can tell he's comfortable, which is another culture change that seems to have worked its way in now that the Manny Machado has taken the reins on this team. You just feel that there's a comfort level for a guy like him, which is pretty cool to see as well. But then you got a guy who, <laughs> I mean, Johnny, he's somewhere between four or five years younger than both of us. He's 16 years old, and he makes a, a spring training appearance, catching behind the plate. You know, it didn't look insanely good behind the plate, but oh my gosh, his framing skills, Johnny, were insane. Puts the ball yeah. in play, which in it by itself is incredible. Oh my gosh, I would be shaking like a leaf, dude. Oh my gosh. I don't think I would ever see the ball, like honestly. Like no. I don't think my eyes, my eyes would stop shaking. Um, it's insane. But then to build off of that, you see, we've seen the confidence. We see the ability to manage a staff. Like That's been talked about so many times. But then yesterday, he's in the backfields facing George Kirby, one of the most electric pitchers in baseball. Could be a Cy Young candidate very, very soon. Even next year, there's people that think he's a dark horse Cy Young guy. He ropes a triple off of him, and it wasn't some ground ball down the line that bounced over the first base. He roped, he turned on a 98-mile-an-hour fastball from freaking George Kirby. And then today, he was facing, they're facing the Mariners again in spring training. That's kind of what they do now that, you know, everyone's being sent places. Um, so he's facing Brian Wu, who's a minor league pitcher for the Mariners, but still, he's much older than, than Ethan Salas. He goes down 0-2, works a, a walk, and then the next at-bat, he hits a double. This kid is incredible, genuinely the best prospect that I might have ever seen. And people have said that he's a Hall of Famer already, which is crazy. I mean, yeah, you don't get your 5.6 million as a 16-year-old for nothing. Um, it's, yeah, it is crazy. I don't know. I don't know where he's going to go. He must be going. He's not on. He did not make the low A Fort Wayne Tin Caps, which I think I was hoping for a little bit just to see him go to full season ball. So, he will be in the Arizona Complex League. Uh, not exactly some high-quality video footage from that league usually, but I'm sure we will get regular updates uh, about his progress. Uh, I think it would be super cool to see him get promoted to full-season ball later this year, but of course you don't want to overwork him or anything this early on. No, and I think the Padres will do a good job of that, but... I have a genuine question for you, Johnny. Do you think we see him before he turns 20? Well, I don't know. Okay, genuinely speaking, he plays this year at, you know, short season ball, Arizona Complex League. Plays next year in, like, low A, high A, maybe sniffs double A. Next year after that, he's what? Like, if he's playing this year at, like, a 17, right? Did he just turn 17? Yeah, he just turned 17. Just turned 17. So, yeah, he plays plays this year it'll be close it'll be close because he'll, he'll turn 20 like right as the season starts so i think that's my prediction we see him in his age 20 season but you know i wouldn't be that surprised if he got a nice little cup of coffee as a 19 year old uh late in the 2020 what is that five season something like that i mean it's just incredible though dude how is it the 16-year-old, like 16, if you really sit down and think about it, that's insane. And to turn on 98 from anyone, let alone George Kirby, who's whipping some ridiculous spin rate. So it's probably like 106 at the top of the zone. <laughs> and to turn on it, it's a joke. It's not, 
it's not okay, but thank goodness we have them. Well, and, and the thing yeah. is, like, the skill gap in baseball is so much bigger than other sports in terms of amateur to pro. Like, you know, in football, you, you go to college, you get drafted, you play. In basketball, you go to college, you get drafted, maybe you play in the G League for a little bit, and then you play. In baseball, you know, you go to high school, you go to college, you get drafted, and then you stay in the minor leagues for like three or four years, and then you make the big leagues if you're lucky. And this dude is 16 and he's playing with big leaguers. What? It's it's really incredible, and it's so exciting. It's by far the most excited I've ever been for a prospect. I can say that this this early on. It's not even close. And it's going to be so fun to see him long term. I mean, hey, do we sign him to an extension already? Like a seventeen, I don't know, like a twenty-five year extension. Get him <laughs> until like he's, give him life what, at this point. <laughs> yeah, until he's forty-two years old. I mean, hey, why, why as well, right? Yeah. But no, I. It's just it's super exciting, and I think that's two of the bigger takeaways from camp. Which, if you ask the national Twitterverse, the Padres have no more exciting prospects, and their team yeah. is completely bought. So they traded away the it was for Soto. Traded away the farm for Soto, so I do uh, definitely. I do have to say though, uh, Gore looked pretty nice yesterday for the Nats. Definitely rooting for him uh, and Abrams. Yeah, totally. And that's the that's the thing too. It's when you get it when you do a trade with another team in the past for the Padres at least. It was almost like that player became public enemy number one because we were just getting fleeced every time. He would go off and dominate. And none of the prospects for us would turn out. And then we would release them and then they would do good. It was like a con- constant cycle. But now, and maybe this is because it's the other way around and we're trading for good players. But I think it has to do with the fact that we're making trades that we're getting players who are impact players. And then we still want to see those guys succeed. It's a completely different vibe that Preller's Definitely. created by actually getting legit players for our team. Yep. Yeah. All right. I think it's time for uh, some predictions. We will get into full full predictions for the rest of Major League Baseball uh, in a future episode in a minute. But we need some Padres predictions here now that we're in our safe Padres space and we can be as biased as we want to be. Let's go. Um, we need some predictions. All right. Well, first off, Johnny, I just want to know straight record. What are you okay. thinking? Hundred. Give me a hundred. Give me triple digits. 100 wins. I need it. On the money. 100 wins. Okay. Okay. Follow suit with that. Who is going to be the team MVP and the team Cy Young? Okay. Well, like the complete obvious pick is Soto. Everyone is saying Soto. And I I like, I agree too. Um, he looked insane in early spring training. He looked insane in the WBC. We know his track record. He's still only 24 years old. It's kind of got to be Soto, but at the same time, I really want it to be Tatis. So I'm going to say Tatis. I really hope he comes back and silences everybody. Love that. Now what about Cy Young? Cy Young is, you know, it's got to be a three-horse race between Darvish, Snell, Musgrove. Um, It was probably Darvish last season. Musgrove obviously was great as well. And Snell had that big second half. Um... Trendy pick is probably Snell. I'm going to go with Musgrove. I think that is a safe floor. So now I got two more specific player ones for you here. Okay. Um, who's going to be A, the most improved slash surprising? Okay, it can be either one. It can kind of be both. 
And then who's going to be the most disappointing? we got to have a little realism in here. Okay. Uh, most improved slash surprising. Hmm. I'm thinking of a few guys off the top of my head. I'm thinking Campy. I'm thinking Crony, but he's already, you know, obviously pretty damn good coming off two straight All-Star game appearances. Um, it's hard when, like, your whole team is good. Him, I don't, I actually don't see Kim improving too much. Hmm. Oh, it's got to be Grisham. It's got to be Grisham. Grisham was having a big bounce back. And then disappointing. Um, let's see. A pitcher, maybe. I mean, there is a pretty decent chance that our, the back half of our rotation does not come up to expectations. Um, yeah. Martinez, Lugo, Waka. You know, all of them have their issues. Um, I'll go with Waka as disappointing. Obviously not rooting for it, but um, last year was his first good year in a while. So there's definitely a scenario in which he kind of reverts back to uh, 2021 form. I think that's fair. I think that's all fair. All right, your turn. Give me, give me a record. Let me see you know, I'm going to be a little bit more conservative than you. I'm going to go 97 wins on the year for, for uh, our boys. <laughs> hey, I saw some, someone say at Barstool yesterday that we weren't going to make the playoffs because the Marlins are going to surprise everyone in Paso. So Yeah, I know. Yeah, because they don't even know that the West Coast is a real place. That's true. Never been west of the Mississippi. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. 97. I'll take it. Uh Okay, give me your MVP. MVP, you talked about it, and I can't go away from it because it's what I've been saying to everyone that I know. It's got to be Juan Soto. I think he's going to have a 10-war season. He's going to go insane. So Juan Soto it is. Okay. Okay, Cy Young. This one's a lot tougher because you were mentioning the three-horse race. But for me, it's going to be Snell, and a big part of it is that contract year. I think he's going to bounce and just go crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, you've seen it too many times with guys. When it's their contract year, they just happen to have that little extra gear. And, you know, if Snell can start off good, then, I mean, I think he's by far has the best chance if he has a good first half. So I'm going to go Blake Snell. Oh, yeah. I think if his ERA is below four by, you know, like mid-June or something, he'll be he'll be below three by the end of the season because his second halves are, are just legendary. Okay, uh, what was next? Um, breakout but, slash surprising most improved? Yeah, and I think everyone's mind goes offensively, and I think yours did too. But to me, from what I've seen in spring training, and it surprised me genuinely, I'm going to go Seth Lugo here. He has really Interesting. looked good as a starting pitcher, and... The obvious concern with him is even if he has success in the first half, how is he going to look in the second half when he has to you know, pitch double the amount of innings he has in the last three years combined? But I've liked what I've seen from Lugo. He's got the good fastball. He has the good curveball. He mixes in a couple other good pitches. He can pitch to both lefties and righties, which is huge. That changeup is good enough. I'm going to go Seth Lugo here. Might, be, uh, might end up biting my, my lip on this one later on, but for now I'm going to say Lugo. All right. I like that one. I like that one. And a disappointment. This one's tough because in my mind, every single Potter is going to have a career year this year. But if I had to choose someone, and this is just solely on trends that we've seen personally on the Padres with Manny and Hosmer 
and across baseball, when a guy changes leagues for his first season, new team, new everything, it just can take a while. So I'm going to go Xander Bogarts. And I'm already ready for the the media to jump on him and say it was a terrible signing. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go X here. I think he's going to have to have a tough time being as consistent as maybe he's used to and not put up the numbers that we're accustomed to seeing. But that won't mean that it's a bad signing because he still has 10 more years to prove it, and I think he will. But for this year, I'm going to go Xander Bogarts. All right. All right. That's okay. He can he can bounce back. He can prove you wrong. Um <laughs> all right well thank you guys for listening this has been a fun one of course as always when we get to talk about the Padres um hope you enjoyed our Padres season preview and uh hope to see you out at Petco this year supporting the brown and gold yep I know you and I will Johnny and now one more thing to say go Aztecs come on boys bring home the ship yes let's go all right Signing off for now. We'll talk to you guys later. See ya. See ya.